0: You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Good morning and welcome to the gathering church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's such an honor to have you here today. If it's your first Sunday, man, I'm just so grateful that you're here to start our Christmas series with us today as we march into the Christmas season. For me, the Christmas season began November 1st. I'm going to be honest that that's just the way that I believe and feel. I believe that Thanksgiving is an important part of the Christmas season. It, 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 it's folded into that, and I love Thanksgiving. I'm grateful for Thanksgiving, but it's a part of the Christmas season. And so now we are just really almost there, and I'm I'm enjoying it. Before I get into it, today is Legacy Sunday. And uh, once a year, we do only one giving initiative each year, and it's our year-end giving. And we call it our Legacy Offering because our goal genuinely is to build a lasting legacy for the kingdom of God, both here in our city and beyond. And so today, we've been sharing over the last couple weeks uh, what our Legacy Offering goes to We call those legacy lanes and where those go, and so today is the day to receive that offering, and I'll talk a little bit about that later uh, towards the end of service, but uh, we're going to have a special worship and response time today, and we just are kind of folding legacy into that because we believe giving is worship, that it's one of the ways we respond in worship. And so uh, we'll we'll give you the opportunity to give your gifts then. Um, And if you're giving online, I just want to encourage you to make sure that you go and select the drop-down menu that says Legacy so we know where those funds are going. Let me jump right in today because we're starting a brand-new series called A Christmas Story Today. And I just... I want to share a little bit of what makes each gospel's version of the Christmas story unique over the next couple weeks. I I want to hone in on the things that each writer felt like was an important part of the Christmas story and learn about those things and understand more about the significance of the birth of Jesus through the eyes of each of those writers. And today, we're starting with the Gospel of Matthew. And I believe that the the gospel of Matthew, Matthew's intent, was to describe the birth of Jesus as the birth of the King of Kings. I think that he really wanted us to understand that Jesus is the King of Kings, and that's what I want to learn about today. Let's read Matthew's gospel beginning in chapter 2, the the story of the birth of Jesus uh, is in Chapter 1 and the Christmas story kind of continues in chapter 2. So look at it, starting in verse 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. and found them, Found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king... This is a lot, I know, but we're reading the Christmas story. Get into it. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him and opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I hope you're getting the scene. I hope you're seeing that nativity set right now, and there's a big old star, just a big one, shining bright with an arrow pointing. Downward over a barn and a little baby Jesus and three wise men Belteshazzar, Magogazar, Sabazar. I don't know their names. Came walking in on camels, you know, and and they've got their gifts and they lay them down and they're they're perfectly kneeled with like one a little bit ahead of the other one and one over here and there's this perfect nativity scene taking place. I hope you're seeing it. That's what we're learning today. It's the nativity. It's going to be a great Sunday. All right, number one thing that I want, I want to learn a couple things uh, from this story and just kind of point them out and and see maybe what I want to learn is what did Matthew want us to see? He he describes this story about Herod and the Magi, nobody else does. What did he want us to see here? Let's look at this gospel of Matthew and learn a couple things today. First, Herod was a bad king. Herod was a bad king king. He was. King Herod was the king over Judea when Jesus was born, but he was never the king of the Jews. He was never the king of the Jews. His history plays out like a season of political drama, like House of Cards or something like that. He lied and he cheated and he murdered his way to the top of that Region of Israeli politics by way of Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, and even Cleopatra were involved in his rise to the top. This is awesome, you guys. We'll make a great movie. His connections won him this title, King over Judea, but his title meant very little. Let me explain. The Jewish kings began some thousand years earlier with King Saul. King Saul. The Jewish people lived in a theocracy before that with God being at the highest seat of government for them. But they looked all around and they decided that they wanted more. The people and the kingdoms and the countries surrounding them, they all had their own king. And and you, you and I, we don't have a great context for what a king is. There's not a lot of kings left in the world. There's a queen in England, and nobody's really sure what she does. It's why we all watch the crown feverishly, just to try to understand what is the job here. And, and so th- there's not like a context for us to fully understand this. But way back in the day, a king represented security, right? Represented safety, represented pride in your country. A king was someone you honored, that, that you worshiped, that that you would you would want to just be near to a king. People would come from cities all around if a king was passing through just to catch a glimpse of the presence of the king. A king was an important thing. And and these Jewish people were looking at all the nations around them with kings, and and they just had God at the seat. And, you know, God's great, but they didn't have like a physical. They were like, God is great, but we want to see a crown. Like how many jewels can we fit on one hat? That's the kind of questions we're asking. And so God says through a prophet to them, are you sure you want a king? Because a king gets the best of your crops. A king will call your sons into battle. A king will come for your daughter's. Are you certain that you want a king? And the people say, yes, that's exactly what we want. We love that stuff. Give us a king. And so... They choose a king, and God allows them to choose the king, and guess who they pick? The handsomest, tallest guy they can find, and his name is Saul, and as a person of 5'8 stature, I resent that, and they find the tallest man, and they make him the king, whatever, and so King Saul is a decent king for a short time. Then he loses his way and he stops obeying God. And so God chooses the next king. You you following me? He lets the people choose the first king because they demanded a king. God chooses the next king and his name is David. David. And he, comes, he sends a prophet to him when he's just a shepherd, a young boy. He's, he's still got decades before he would actually become the king, but God has chosen him to be king, and he sends a prophet to anoint him as king, and he says, you're going to be the king one day. And David is the king, and David is a man after God's own heart. David is a good king, and God says, I'm going to make sure that there is always a king in the line of David through him. David is king. Now, David had a son named Solomon who wrote the Proverbs, and Solomon was a pretty good king, but he either married or had children with around 700 women, which is not God's dream for marriage. And these people brought in a lot of other worship to the kingdom of God, and it brought a lot of consequences to the nation of Israel, Solomon's sin. The line of King David lasted until 586 B.C., and by the time we get to 586 B.C., it had eroded quite a bit. Every generation that followed it seemed brought more sin into the kingship and what it meant to be king, someone who was worthy of honor and worthy of worship and worthy to rule, someone who would protect and provide security, who would provide freedom and safety and someone who would enrich the lives of his people. The dream God had for a king, it had eroded so much by 586 BC that kings were just selfish, self-serving and had turned their backs on worshiping God. And so God allowed them to be conquered and for it to be wiped out. In 586 B.C., a king in another country called Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, and he dethroned King Jehoiachin. Now, I'm going to say Jehoiachin. Maybe it was Chin. Maybe it was a guy with a big chin, and that's how he got the name. King Jehoiachin is the descendant of the king that God chose, David. He was dethroned in 586 BC And after that, it was different kings that would take the throne. The Babylonians would put a king on the throne, who was merely a puppet to follow their orders. After the Babylonians came the Persians. They did the same thing. After the Persians do you remember the Persians from the movie 300? The guy with the, the nose ring that connected to his earring? That's the guy. He was there. And so the Persians, and then there was the Greeks. And they set up a king, and then it was the Romans and the Roman conquest. Uh, during that time, there was a set of kings called the Hasmoneans. They had what was a dynasty, big thing. But these guys, even all throughout this 500 years, even though they went by the title title of king, were more like what we would understand to be a governor. And in 70 BC, a Roman general named Pompey conquered Jerusalem, and they set Jerusalem up as an occupied Roman province. And they brought in occupying soldiers, a, a regional governor, and then other leaders who would serve underneath that regional governor. All of the actual power and politic for the region came from Caesar to the governor to the sub-governors underneath him. But then, over here, you had a king because it satisfied people to have a king, made them a little bit easier to rule when they felt like they had their own king, made it a little bit easier to get them to submit when they felt like they had their own king. The governor had the most power in the area, they keep the king so that people remain loyal to Rome. His job was just to point people's allegiance to the occupying power. Rome he had a rich and easy life Herod through a lot of political maneuvering became the first of the Roman version of those kings now Herod was not Jewish isn't that interesting The king over all of Israel, over Judea, was not Jewish by birth. He converted to Judaism later in life, although my instinct tells me he probably didn't do it very genuinely. Herod's mother was from Jordan, and his father was an Edomite. He was Syrian. Uh, Herod had been a Roman governor in Galilee and had become close friends with Mark Antony. He was also known to be a favorite of Caesar. And through his relationship with Caesar and Mark Antony, an important ruler in Rome, if you remember your history, go back to high school in your brain. Mark Antony falls in love with Cleopatra. There's murder, there's intrigue, it's amazing. They loved Herod. And so they made the recommendation to to Caesar and Herod becomes king, the king of the Jews. I don't have time to get into all of the details. But to get and to keep the title king of the Jews, there was a lot of corruption, a lot of killing, there was a short war, and there was murder involved. Shortly after he came to power, Herod had his wife and daughter killed to get a more advantageous marriage. Herod was a very bad dude. He was a very bad king. The people of God deserved better. And the reality was, Herod wasn't much of a king to begin with. So, when a bunch of strange people come into his court and say, we're here to find the king of the Jews, that is why Herod became very, very alarmed and just wanted to do what he had done the whole time he had been in power. Keep killing his way to the top. Second thing I want us to see is the significance of the Magi. Okay, so what's significant about these guys? Why does Matthew include their journey in his gospel? Well, we all know that. We three kings of Orient are, right? They're bringing gifts. They traveled so far. Everybody knows. We actually don't know a whole lot about the Magi, except for a couple things. We know that they came from the east somewhere, likely from Persia, but possibly all the way from Asia. We know that there weren't necessarily three of them. This is ruins my entire nativity set. We have no idea how many there were. We know there were three gifts, but there could have been three different caravans of gifts. That's all, all we know. Could be three. We know that they didn't come until Jesus was around two years old. Also ruins my nativity set. There was no magi at the manger. And Rael keeps setting them up in an activity. I keep taking them away and putting them way on the other side of the living room. Like they were only here by the time Jesus was born. They had a long journey ahead of them. The star had just appeared. Let's get this thing more accurate. We also don't know if they were kings or not. We three kings, they probably weren't kings. A guy named Tertullian, an early uh, first century church leader, came up with that idea about 150 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. He just decided that they were kings because the kind of gifts that they had were the kind of things that kings would have better access to. And so we don't know if they were kings. Uh, we know they were magi. Uh, magi is a transliterated word from the Greek, which means this, this is the word that the Greek would have said magi. And it just means magician. It actually means magician. So, these guys were kind of like David Copperfield. Isn't that the guy's name? They, they were magicians and they were actually, they were the kind of guys that studied stars and astrology and really just tried to make sense out of the physical world, but using mystical means. They were mystics. They, they were sorcerers, magicians. They were likely... Uh, f- f- Guys who were important religious leaders in their culture outside of the people of God and the God of Abraham. These guys would have been respected as important world religious leaders, sorcerers, magicians. They would have explained the stars to people, would have read them, would have studied them. That's why when they noticed one star pointing them in a direction, they believed it compelled them to go find what it was over and worship. God revealed that To them. Society had a lot of respect for guys like this. And in non Jewish cultures, magi were the kind of people who would be present at a coronation of a king and do the coronation itself. It would be the magi of that region that would crown the next king, would show submission of the gods to this king as the new king. So, that's the kind of thing they're up to with Jesus. They'd studied the stars. And I believe God showed them that for the first time in 600 years, a king of the Jews was going to be born. And so they traveled to Jerusalem. They saw Herod, assuming he would know about it. He did not. And then they, they went to go find the child to coronate him as the king of the Jews, Let's look at their gifts, the gifts of the Magi. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. These weren't random gifts. They were important for a coronation of a king. Gold was a symbol of power. It was given often to a newborn king as a sign of tribute and respect. Frankincense was an incense uh, that was burned by a high priest in ceremony, and it's worth noting that frankincense is the incense burned in the holy of holies in the temple of Jerusalem where the presence of God dwells. Only the high priest could burn the frankincense. It symbolizes worship. Myrrh had two primary uses in those days. The first was an anointing oil for kings. Most likely, these men were bringing it as an anointing oil for kings. These men who represent another religion, who represent... The little g-gods of this world, who represent the understanding of this world that man has, who represent outside nations, were coming to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem to find this new king, to submit to him as the king of kings. Myrrh had another meaning or use. It was an embalming fluid. It was what they would use to anoint kings, and it was what they would use to coat them as they buried them. And here they were coming to welcome the new king of the Jews who would become a sacrifice and give his life for all. I think Matthew wanted us to see these things when he explains or helps us understand who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? The fourth thing. So Matthew spends the first part of chapter 1 explaining the genealogy of Jesus. From Abraham to David, from David to Jehoiachin, from Jehoiachin to Joseph, Mary's husband, the adopted father of Jesus. In chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is born the rightful heir to the throne of the Jews. He's a descendant of David. He is who God promised from the very beginning. He is the king that we were promised and that the people of Jerusalem had been anxiously waiting for. The Magi confirm this and they come to bring their tribute to this rightful heir, this king. They bring gifts that honor his position, that worship him as the most high and anoint him as king of kings. And after centuries of oppression, And occupation, and after centuries before that of corrupt and evil kings, finally, here in Bethlehem is born a king to rule over all of the other kings and bring peace back into the hearts of men. A king who is worthy of worship, who is here to protect and to provide safety and security for those who would follow him. A king who is worthy of our honor and our praise. Jesus is king. For centuries, all God's people had was oppression and war and kings who were either self-serving or just evil. And now here in a manger in a stable in Bethlehem lay a king who, being in the very nature of God, Paul says, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names. I just believe that in Matthew's gospel, he needed us to see that not only was a king born in Bethlehem, but the king we deserve was born in Bethlehem. The king we have awaited was born in Bethlehem. And the king of kings was born in Bethlehem. Like I said, in this, in this world, we, just, we don't have a context for how we should behave before a king. The word doesn't have the same meaning to us that it, it once did. There was a time when the language "king" was enough to cause people to pause and have a moment of reverence. It carried reverence in the word. It mattered. To be in the presence of a king was an honor in itself. In the days of kings, people would travel far and wide to bring tributes to the king, and they brought gifts with them of dedication. And when they entered into the chamber of a king, they would do so with their heads bowed low in a sign of submission and respect and pay tribute to the king with whatever gift they could bring. And it was a sign of great honor and a sign of great respect to be able to bring a gift to a king. And it would be marked as one of the most important days in a person's life to be able to come into the presence of a king and bring a gift to a king. In this passage in Matthew, the Magi know that Jesus is not just a king, but the king of kings. And so they travel far and wide to bring him their tribute. And it says they bowed low when they entered into his presence. What all of this means is to us. And the reason that Matthew wrote this into his gospel was to help us understand that Jesus is the king of kings come to establish the kingdom of heaven. And that's very good news for us because the kingdom of Jesus is not some political movement or a place that weathers and ages and falls like every kingdom here on earth eventually will. His kingdom is everlasting. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed into his field and this is smaller than all other seeds but when it is fully grown is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so the birds of the air will come and nest in its branches. It began with a small and humble people in a specific part of the world with a baby in a manger in a small town. But today, the kingdom of heaven is growing and growing and offering rest and hope and purpose to all who find it. The magi knew this king was worthy of their worship, even though they knew very little about him. Today, we know a great deal more about Jesus and why he is worthy of the same kind of worship from us, if not more than what the magi were willing to bring. Revelation chapter 19, it tells us what it would be like to come face to face with Jesus today. It describes our king to us. Listen to this. This is heavy metal Jesus. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. And his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Lord of Lords. Jesus has a thigh tattoo. Where are my no tattoo people at? Jesus has a thigh tattoo and it says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want you to get that picture in your head today because what I have to try to understand in my own heart is that the very same Jesus who looks like this today, with blood on his robe and a sword coming out of his mouth, eyes like fire, just an amazing and beautiful sight to behold. So powerful and true, so willing to defend you, to protect you, and to give his life for you. These magi spent years of their life searching for him, looking for him. The evil King Herod would expend every resource he had to kill him and eliminate him. These folks gave all of their treasure to him. They laid their gifts at his feet. The very same Jesus that I now know would grow into a man who would teach me how to live, who would, who would, with his words, flip upside down everything that I ever knew about what to believe and how to behave and how to see people. And then that very same Jesus would be arrested And not establish a physical kingdom on earth at that moment, not one with a castle and a place where we could come bring physical tribute. He had a better idea in mind. Instead, he would go to a cross where he would be crucified for my sins and yours so that he could make it possible for you and I to enter into his presence and come into his courts, and then he would be resurrected because death has no hold on him, just as it no longer has any hold on the people who believe in him and follow him, and then he would come into his throne room. And in this place, he looks like that. And I have the opportunity, whenever I want, to enter into the presence of of this king of kings. And so when we enter into the presence of this king of kings, how should we respond? How should we act? What should this Christmas story be a reminder of for us? Here's how you come into the presence of this king. First, bring him your worship. When John enters into the throne room of God in Revelation, it says that he fell on his face as though dead. He fell on his face before him in worship. Maybe we need to do that more often. Matthew 2.11 says that the Magi entered the home and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. It's common to bow before a king to show that you don't consider yourself above them. It's a sign of respect and a sign of Submission, it's a sign of gratitude for the one who is the protector over you. It says in Philippians 2.10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Psalm 95.6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I wonder if, if enough we understand whose presence it is we come into when we worship. And I just wonder if more often I shouldn't come onto my knees to show respect to the King of Kings. Bring Him your worship today. When you come into the presence of God, let me encourage you to th- don't don't ever consider what the person to your left or your right might see, might think of you because you are entering into the presence of the king. And whenever we see someone coming face to face with the resurrected Jesus, the first thing that they do is they go to kneel and and to grab him and to touch him and he says, "Don't touch me yet. It's not time yet." We we see John enter into his presence in the throne room in Revelation and he can't even stay on his feet. He falls as though dead to the floor when the magi enter into the home of a toddler. I've got toddlers, you guys. It's rough to enter into the home of a toddler, but this is no ordinary toddler. It's the king of kings. And so these men who are are revered and respected wherever they go, they enter into this house and they fall on their knees in worship. And here we are today, worshiping together in the house of the Lord. And maybe more often, we should find ourselves on our knees. Bring him your worship. Bring him your gifts. Bring him your gifts. Matthew 2, 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They worshiped him when they were laying their gifts at his feet. It was an act of worship for them to bring and lay their gifts at the feet of Jesus. I want to encourage you to do the same in more ways than one. Today is Legacy Sunday. And we talk about this a lot, but we believe giving is worship at the gathering church. It's not something we want you to feel that you have to do, like it shouldn't feel like a chore. It's not something we want to pull out of you, compel, or trick you into doing No, we believe that giving is worship. It's worship. You're worshiping the king. And so when we have a moment of worship here in just a few minutes, if you brought your legacy gift and you have it physically with you today, I'd encourage you to take it to the back, place it in one of those boxes and pray over it and worship over it. This is worship. Even if you're doing it from your phone and you, you give online and you go to Legacy Offering, pick the drop down. It's, it's not just like paying one of your bills. It's not an obligation. It's worship. It's a gift brought to the king. Here is a king who is absolutely worthy of my praise, who is worthy of my worship, and who is worthy of my generosity and my giving. And don't stop with financial gifts. The Bible says that God has given you gifts and he designed you just the way that you are for a purpose worship him when you come into the presence of this king by returning those gifts to him in his service return those gifts to him in his service every Sunday before you get here the dream team is working hard to make this space ready for you to receive you to make you feel wanted and welcome and seen And they do it because they're laying their gifts at the feet of Jesus. They understand that they're serving a king of kings and that when you go to visit a king, you don't show up empty-handed. You come to the king of kings with whatever gifts you have to give. And our dream team lays their gifts down. In fact, we pray every Sunday before you arrive, God, here are my gifts. Every gift you have given to me, I lay it at your feet. Use it however you would. I am yours today. Lay your gifts down at his feet. Your prayer is like sweet incense to God, the Bible says. Lay your prayers at his feet. Worship him by honoring him with your worship, saying it out loud, bring him gifts. The gift of song. Sing it at the top of your lungs as on key or as off key as you will. Worship him and bring him your gifts today. And then bring him your life. Bring him all of you, everything you are, and lay it at his feet. He is a king who is worthy of every sacrifice. He has made every sacrifice for you And he is worthy of all that you have to give. In just a moment, the band is going to play and come back up and play another worship song. And here's what I would invite you to do. I'd invite you to respond, to really respond this morning. I know that we, we get comfortable and we get, we get in our rhythm and our routine and maybe as soon as I stop, get towards the end of my message, your tummy starts to rumbling. You're like, it must be lunchtime. The preacher's done preaching. Time to go. We're gonna do it differently for the next couple weeks. I don't know if you noticed, we did two songs on the, you didn't get here late. We, we did two songs on the front end because we're gonna put one at the end here and we're about to sing a song called Gratitude. I want you to hear the words of this song. Sing them out with all of your heart, all of your might. And then I I want you to, to, did you know that worship isn't always just standing there like this? Hallelujah. That's not always just what we're, that is worship if your heart's in the right place. But worship's more than that worships more than that. Today, we want to give you the opportunity to, to bring Him your worship, to bring Him your gifts, to bring Him your life, and to do it physically, to get up and move. I, I, I want to tell you there's no wrong way to worship today. As we get into this space, that you can fall on your knees right where you are. You can come forward and fall on your knees before Him today. You can lift your hands up and worship of Him today. You can, you can move around. You can pray aloud. Whatever. You can come uh, this morning. We're going to have a few different things for you. You can come forward and receive communion when Jesus was celebrating the Passover dinner for the last time with his followers, he said, when you do this, I want you to remember me. When you come together, do this and remember me. He called his followers to when they are gathered together to take this offering, this elements as an offering to him. The juice today, we've got COVID friendly packets for you so some grape juice in there and the juice represents his blood that would be spilled out for you and the the bread represents his body that was broken for you. And you take communion and you remember his sacrifice and you eat and drink of it. And it's a way to worship him and bring yourself before him. And so come and take communion during worship today. And we have over here a cross. And this is always here. It's a it's, a, it's not a church without a cross in it, right? And so we've got our cross. But today we want to give you an action for the cross. We've got pen and paper and some pens, push pens over there. And maybe today you'd like a physical representation of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And so you want to bring him your life. Bring him bring him whatever you've been holding back. Bring him whatever burdens you're carrying. Bring him whatever prayers you have. Bring him whatever praise and worship you have and write it down on that paper and pin it to that cross and just see it there where it belongs on the cross of Jesus. And then today, we also want to give you the opportunity to pray because prayer is worship. And so some of our elders are going to be across the, the front and then some on the sides here and when you if you need prayer you have some burdens that you want to lay down you need someone to to cover you in prayer you can come if you have someone in your life that you're burdened over that you need to pray over then you can come forward and pray for them with somebody have somebody pray over you this morning a lot of different ways to respond and a lot of different ways to worship we want you to enter into the presence of the king of kings today we want you to bring tribute to the king of kings today i believe that this This time of year, it's important for us to remember that we serve the King of kings and we're gonna give him all the worship that we have to give because he is worthy of it. He is a good and mighty King, And so if you're here today and you don't know this King of Kings yet, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, let me give you that opportunity right now. Every head bowed and every eye closed, all you have to do is just say, say these words. It's, it's like a, a wedding vow. It, it doesn't, you, there's a lot of marriage that happens after a wedding vow, isn't there? But these are the promises that you make that start that relationship. And that's what this prayer is like. Every head bowed. Every eye closed, if you're ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus, say it with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. I give my life to you. I believe in you. I believe in what you've done for me. And I worship you with all that I am from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Gathering Church Podcast is produced by the Gathering Church Creative Team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect Card online at gatherashville.org, find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church, or on Instagram at gatherashville.